Is it on? There we go. You know, I'm old. Just the technology that we live with <laughs> is a challenge. A couple of, of comments before we get started with the message. First of all, about FCC Connect tonight, uh, we are sitting at 54 registered. Let's push to 60. Maybe grab a friend this afternoon, tell them you've got a, a neat thing at church to go to and, and experience. So please uh, reach out and see if we can hit 60 tonight. Uh, again, we're going to have the meal downstairs. We'll come up here for a dialogue about the video that we watch and about the social dilemma. So please make every effort. I want to welcome some special guests this morning, some of our closest friends uh, from Louisville. Uh, Judge Deb DeWeese and her husband Benham Sims, who's also an attorney. And we have Melissa Swan and her husband Jim Snyder. And Jamie, a former co-worker of Laney's. So on the back row, you've got an attorney if you need advice. You've got a judge to render judgment. And you've got a broadcaster to make it known to the whole world. So I think we're all, we're all set for that. You know, about, this is the fourth sermon in the series, Can You Hear Me Now? And each week we've talked about the challenge of hearing God's voice. Really hearing what God is saying to us and, and how, uh, how inundated we are with other signals and other information and all kinds of chaos and things hitting at us. And how difficult it is sometimes just to hear God's voice. Can you hear me now? I think that's what God would be saying to us often, at least to me. Because sometimes I'm not listening very well. When we're finished today, I want you to pay attention throughout the sermon. And when we're finished, there are two things that I hope you'll understand. First, life is complicated, but living doesn't have to be. And ponder that after the sermon today. And what you do shows what you believe. The title, the subtitle today is The Gospel According to Ted Lasso. Now, we know that what the gospel is, the true gospel is, of Jesus Christ and God reconciling all of us to God's self through Jesus Christ. So that is the, the ultimate gospel. So we're not, not talking about that gospel today. We're talking about things that are, are sort of in the vein of the gospel truth. Have you ever said to someone who was not really convinced of what you were telling them, it's the gospel truth? And others have said that to you, just trying to emphasize the truth of what they're sharing and what they're feeling or what they're expressing. Well, that's sort of the vein in which we're looking at the gospel according to Ted Lasso. The word gospel is actually an old English word that's translated the Greek word, meaning good news. So, in fact, if you were to look in Scripture today and insert good news everywhere you see the word gospel, it would be the good news according to Matthew, the good news according to Mark, and so on. Before we get to Ted, let me create a context for today. Christians in Galatia were 99.9% uh, uh, Gentiles, not Jews, who had come to faith in Christ. And they were experiencing a dilemma, though, because they knew that Jesus was the ultimate Messiah of the Hebrew people, that Jesus was uh, the result of God's promise, and that is aside from the law and on top of the law, Messiah had come to bring people to God. But it wasn't an unreasonable thought to think, well, if, if it's the fulfillment of the Hebrew people's faith, then perhaps we need to become Jews before we can be fully Christian. And Paul spoke very directly to that. 
And he challenged them and he said, no, no, no. The law can only do so much. And ultimately, it has failed to bring people to God in a right relationship. The law ultimately leads to death. But the gospel has fruit. The gospel, as it's true in working through us, as George said earlier, is the gospel that makes the difference. The gospel that yields fruit, as Paul described it. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. In other words, the law is useless to have the effect on us that Christ's Spirit living in us is designed to have. So we're going to look today at Ted Lasso and the fruit of the Spirit demonstrated in this show. Now Ted Lasso, the character Ted Lasso, is played by Jason Sudeikis, and he's a, a failed American football coach. It's just in futility. And surprisingly, he gets invited to go to England and to coach a soccer team, a professional soccer team, AFC Richmond is the team. He gets invited to, to go and to take that task on, and, and of course he was under a lot of ridicule and, and, and so forth. But before we get into the meat of the sermon, I want you to get a taste or a flavor of the show, and particularly Ted Lasso's character. So I'm going to play, uh, an, this is in fact the trailer for season two, which uh, showed last summer. What do you say to a cocktail, Coach Lasso? Oh, the same thing I'd say to Diane Sawyer if she ever asked me out on a date. Yes, please. <laughs> Live from the dog track, it's Richmond with eight straight ties. How many more matches before you hit the panic button? There's two buttons I never like hitting. That's panic and snooze. I don't care what our record is. It's all about believing that everything's going to work out in the end. Exactly as it's supposed to. And isn't the idea of never give up one of them things we always talk about in sports? And shouldn't that apply to people too? It's a beautiful metaphor for many of life's journeys. The team's just a little unlucky, that's all. Maybe we should bring in a sports psychologist. Brought you a little something-something for your first day of work here. I don't eat sugar. Really? I've never met someone who doesn't eat sugar. Only heard about them. They all live in this godless place called Santa Monica. You got a fever for the flavor little girl talk, don't you? This chap I've been seeing, John. Stamos? No. His name's John Wingsnight. Like at a sports bar, like Monday night's Wingsnight down at PJ Flats. Would you please stop? Rule number one, even though it's called girl talk, sometimes it needs to be more like, girl, listen. We will, we will rock you. We will, we will rock you. What's Ted doing? Probably homesick. Closest thing you can find to a Dodge Ram. Back home, if a team was playing poorly, we don't call them unlucky. What do we call them, Coach? New York Jets. Wouldn't it be fabulous? Wouldn't it be fabulous if kindness and believing in others made a real comeback? 
believing in one another and, and what that means to them and what that means to us if we're in, in relationship with others, and true kindness one to another. You know, it, it's, it's interesting that it's become so rare that people make a big thing about it on social media, an act of kindness or paying it forward, and people are so stunned at these neat things that people are doing, and, and that's how rare it apparently is that this kind of kindness exists. Well, we look at Ted Lasso's quotes today to sort of walk through the fruit of the Spirit. Let's get started. Even Woody and Buzz got under each other's plastic. Well, we know what that's like, getting under each other's skin or plastic. And, and we also know that, that those are sort of minor skirmishes, minor frustrations. But we understand that those can often lead to much deeper conflict. But getting under each other's plastic is, is something that we've all experienced. Our daughter Katie uh, despises hearing people's, as she calls it, food noises. And when you're eating with other people. And as a teenager, we'd all sit around the table and, and she would start uh, fussing at one of the kids or us, Laney and me, about uh, the food noise. She didn't want to hear anybody swallow and hear the gulp or the chewing or anything else. Well, that just fed the teenagers to just, you know, go after that and, and kind of fed Laney and me too to kind of emphasize it. In fact, I mentioned to her daughter the other day as she was talking about, she was drinking and gulping real loudly and getting a kick out of it. I said, go home and do that to your mom all night. <laughs> so those are getting under each other's plastic. But we really know that conflict is very serious and needs to be dealt with. In Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. He said, get rid of all bitterness and rage and, and speak with compassion and kindness to one another. You see, conflict is inedible, but it doesn't have to be destructive. Conflict is going to happen. It's inevitable, but it doesn't have to be uh, destructive in our lives. It doesn't have to, to tear things down to deal with it appropriately. And some say, well, are you talking about peace at all cost? <clears throat> well, the answer is yes, with, all, with a few exceptions. Peace at all cost because the cost of conflict is too great. The price of conflict takes an open check to, uh, to us, has an open checkbook to take and take and take and take. So we reach out for peace. The Gallup organization did a study of workers in America and revealed that 22 million Americans report being terribly unsatisfied and disengaged in the workplace, all because of inner work conflicts. Perhaps you've been in a work setting like that where it was very difficult to relax. It was very difficult to, to stay focused because there's so much going on around you. The cost of that disengagement in the workplace $350 billion a year in lost productivity. See, conflict, whether it's in the workplace or wherever it is, takes an emotional toll. It, it comes and invades us and it makes us less satisfied and even leads to physical infirmities. We're a movement for wholeness in a broken and fragmented world. What that means is we bring peace to the situation. We bring peace where there's conflict. We find ways to affect peace. Let's go on to the next quote. I promise you, there is something worse out there than being sad, and that's being alone and being sad. 
ain't no one in this room alone. Now that part of the show, he's talking to the team and some of the the need for them to to partner up and, and care for each other, be kind and compassionate to one another, to believe in one another, to walk alongside so that no one's walking alone. There's that need that we have for other people to be in a relationship. You know, there's a nonprofit called The Loneliness Project, and they report that between 26 and 46% of American adults report being chronically lonely. Chronically, moment by moment, day by day, loneliness. Now, you and I both know that, that uh, we can all feel lonely, even when we're in the midst of a crowd. We can all feel lonely living at home with a spouse that's present. We can feel lonely being in a crowd like this. Even though there are people around, we can have great sense of loneliness. Brother Teresa said it well. Loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. What a powerful statement. Loneliness and the feeling of of being unwanted. Wow. I've been there. Perhaps you've been there in these moments. Feeling lonely doesn't require being alone. We need to be present for one another. That faithfulness to one another, that faithfulness to walking alongside so that no one's walking alone, that we're right there. And, and even if there's no one in your life that you could pinpoint today that is really walking alongside you, we know that Christ lives in us and walks with us each day. So even if it's left to being Christ who's walking with you, you do not walk alone. We're to be present for one another. For me, success is not about the wins and losses. It's about helping these young people. I want you to know I value each of your opinions even when you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Youth, you can uh, hold him to that one, okay? You know, we need to learn teamwork, and some of that value of teamwork and being on a sports team or a dance team or a debate team reminds us or teaches us how to be disciplined. It teaches how to work together. It also teaches us that whiz- winning and losing are part of life. I hate losing, but in many ways I've lost more than one in certain areas of my life. You know, we have trophies for winning and victories. We have trophies for participation. But the trophies don't make us feel valued. The trophies don't don't make us have worth and self-worth. They're simply emblems or or, uh, symbols of something that happened at a point in time. Golfer Nick Faldo was being interviewed by sportscaster Dan Patrick on his show, and it was a Zoom call and they're talking about golf and, and Nick's uh, historic career uh, on the PGA Tour. And he asked Nick, he said, do you have a trophy room in your house? He said, well, of course I've got a trophy room. He said, well, go get one. So you see him get up from the desk and walk into the hallway and disappear. And he comes back in a moment and he's held, holding a really large trophy. And Dan said, which one's that? He said, that's the British Open trophy. Well, go get another. So he takes that back and he goes and he comes back in a moment and he holds up another huge, beautiful trophy. Which one's that? Well, that's a master's trophy. He has three of those. He has three of the British Open trophies. 
He won 30 PGA Tour events during his career. And toward the end of the conversation, he said, you know, Dan, I have a trophy room, not so I can go look at it and feel proud about my accomplishment. I have a trophy. I don't have a trophy room so I can walk guests into there and say, look at all that I accomplished. He said, I have a trophy room because each one of those trophies reminds me of the people who were there for me. The people who exhibited kindness and belief and concern for my life. The people who, who walked with me didn't want me to walk alone through that journey. They were there beside me each step of the way. Well, we need to invest in people because it'll change your life and theirs. That's what he's talking about. He says, in words, he's saying, people invested in me and it changed my life. And when you invest in someone else, it changes both your life and theirs. So that's so important. You know, we, we have these challenges with one another in, in relationships, and, and we want to be with other people, and, and we need to invest in that to make it worthwhile. I think if you care about someone and you've got a little love in your heart, there ain't nothing you can't get through together. And I also hear Andy Griffith's voice in that. Ain't nothing you can't get through together if you have a little love in your heart. Several years ago, Lainey and I started, as many of you did, uh, watching a lot of British television, particularly Downton Abbey. We became huge fans, and I don't know how many times we've watched all the seasons, but it's been more than once. And uh, we enjoyed the, the accents. One of the reasons we did captions today is some of those people were speaking British, and it's difficult to understand at times. But in watching these British shows, particularly Downton Abbey, I, I learned a phrase that I'd never heard before in my life. I've never heard it spoken here in the United States in any encounter or any gathering that I was a part of. And it's the phrase that they use when they're all in the, in the parlor or the library having pre-dinner cocktails. And somehow the message gets to the host that dinner is ready. And they don't say to the group, dinner's ready, let's go eat. They say, let's go through. Are you ready to go through? Are you ready to go through? In other words, are you ready to go from here to there? Now, Ted says we've got to have a little love for one another in our heart for one another in order to get through difficult times. Well, life is not just moving from one room to the other, from that here to there. Often, the through part is a long, long journey filled with conflicts and difficult circumstances and challenges. But we need to go from here to there. And, and when we start moving, realize that we're leaving the past. The past doesn't change for anybody. We are where we are today, and the past is what it is. It doesn't change for anybody. So we look forward, but we need others that are loving us and caring for us, and we need to love them so that we can get through this next phase together, so that we can move from here to whatever there is out there for us. You know, it's that love that generates endurance to go through. Are you ready to go through? Well, we need one another in order to do that. I'm going to show another clip here in just a moment. Let me set it up. Uh, in, in, the, in the show Ted Lasso, the uh, former owner of the uh, team is a man named Rupert, and he's the ex-husband and now current owner. 
And they show up in a pub, and this guy is really rich, and he's arrogant, and he tries to bully. And so he's there at this gathering in the pub, and he sees his ex-wife, who's the owner, and he sees Ted, who's the coach, and he kind of baits Ted into a dart game. And Ted picks up a dart, and he throws it and hits it way off the... He hit the board, basically. And so Rupert takes out his own private darts, and the crowd goes... Ooh. So he starts, he throws one. And then we see Ted throw one. He said, I forgot I was left-handed. He picks it up with his left hand and hits the bullseye. And then he goes into this discussion. You know, Rupert, guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day, I was driving my little boy to school and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. I like that. So I get back in my car and I'm driving to work and all of a sudden it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me, not a single one of them were curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out and so they judged everything and they judged everyone. And I realized that they're underestimating me. Who I was had nothing to do with it. Because <laughs> if they were curious, they would ask questions. You know? Questions like, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? <laughs> Which I would have answered, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father from age 10 to 16 when he passed away. Such a great scene, but so touching. It's that, that scene that reminds us to be curious, not judgmental. Curiosity is, is such an important factor for us to have. You know, the, the curiosity and not judgmental is a, is a phrase that I'd not ever heard before. I never read that when I read all the Walt Whitman stuff. I don't remember that. Curious, not judgmental. And the reason that's important is because being judgmental doesn't take much effort. Being judgmental is simply you make a couple of ob observations and you come to conclusions. Being curious requires questions. It requires curiosity that, that we're going to learn more and more and more. When I was in the seventh grade, it was a very difficult time in my life. My, my, my family had been through some difficult years. My mother had had a nervous breakdown. We had enormous financial difficulties and my father was working nights for a couple of years and I seldom saw him. And then it was the seventh grade, you know. So one day I'm standing along the, the wall with all the guys on one side and the girls on the other ready to go into the cafeteria. And to my right is a young man named Larry Adelstein. Now I didn't really know Larry, but we're standing side by side and I'm just standing there against the wall like everyone else. And all of a sudden, he hits me on my right arm as hard as he could. It stunned me. And he hits me again and again and again, seven times. And by the time the seventh one happened, tears were streaming down my face. 
And I had no idea what was going on. But I just stood there frozen. I remember the verse, turn the other cheek. I don't think that's what it meant. But I didn't have any coaching from my father about how to defend myself or even respond to something like that. And he came by that honestly. He didn't have that guidance either. His father passed when he was eight years old. So he didn't have that male figure guiding him. So I was there helpless in many ways. But finally, we went on into the cafeteria. We had lunch, and we went outside, and I see Larry coming toward me, and I turn just to the side, and he kicks me in the stomach. And just, I bent over, and just as I'm raising him again, he kicks me again. And a teacher sees it and grabs him and pulls him away. What was it that Larry Adelstein had judged about me that made him think he could do that? What was it that he thought of me that prompted him to do that? No curiosity. Curiosity requires questions and leads us ultimately to conclusions only when there are no more questions. Curiosity. Be curious, not judgmental, because curiosity connects us. Being judgmental alienates us. I want to take a moment here toward the end. I'm ask you to just to close your eyes for just a second and imagine God's voice when I say these things. It's God speaking. Life is complicated, but living doesn't have to be. What you do shows what you believe. Can you hear me now? Amen.